הדרך השלישי הדרך השלישי כאשר ישמע מוסר החכמים והמוכיחים יקשיב וישמע ויקונה ויחזור בתשובה ורבנו יונז searching for different ways of doing tshuva and one of the ways he finds to do tshuva in his second gate in the second, the third way is if a person's receptive to an idea, to a message that's given to him and the message has such an impact on him the message that he has has such an impact on him that he develops the commitment to change his, to make a change in his life. He feels the, the, the message that he was given, the, the schmooze he heard was so inspiring that he wanted to, he wanted to change. So the question is, at what point in time do you measure the change as having occurred? Let's say he has the schmooze Wednesday, 12.30, and he becomes inspired, and as a result, he resolves to change. But the truth is, until he actually implements any kind of practical changes in his life, it takes a couple of months, and in fact, the true changes only start to come into the fore a year or so later. So if you want to measure the point of change, where would you measure it at? Is the point of change when the change is concretized a year later? Or is the point of change the moment he made the rishon? Comes along the Rabbeinu Yoyna and makes a clear description of when that point of change occurred and says, This man, in one moment, went out from great darkness to incredible light. The change is an instantaneous one. At a time when he listens and he hears and he internalizes the message, and he accepts what the person is saying to him. And he accepts to do what he should be doing. Also, Tshuva has risen in his hand, meaning he has achieved it. And he has transformed to a completely different person. The altar of Navadak used to say, if you do not change in one second, you will not change in a lifetime. That the moment of change is, a, is, is sorry, that the process of change is momentary. It, it happens, the person switches. In terms of the incorporation of the change into your being, so that's, a, that's an ongoing process, that takes time. But there's that moment of change when a person literally transforms. Because his entire internal mechanism is switched. And the moment he receives this in his thoughts, and he makes a resolution, he receives upon himself the merit.
the Rabbeinu uses this principle to illustrate what's written down in the Ovis de Rabinosan that says a somewhat cryptic statement called any person whose deeds are greater than what he knows his wisdom, what he knows has a is, is sustainable, it works Rabbi Yonah says how is it possible for a person to do more than he knows you can't do what you don't know because you don't know that that's what you should be doing so how is it possible that you, you could ever be that a person's actions are more than what he knows? You can't do more than what you know. Says means that you can't do what you don't know. What it means is that if you make a commitment to do in the future, that commitment means all the potential acts you will perform are presently located inside the essence of yourself. And they outweigh the knowledge you have. Because the essential fulcrum of your being is the commitment to do in the future. And therefore, your chokhmah has not yet developed into its fullest maturation. But your present state is ready to do anything that will be told of you to do. Anything that's required of you. You've made the commitment, you've had the realization, you just lack the information. As the information comes in, so then you'll fulfill what's need to be done. So in other words, right now, potentially, every possible action in the future has been contained in your initial resolution to change. So that's called that your Chochmah is much smaller than your Maisim. Because your Maisim are unlimited, they are infinite. Whereas your Chochmah is extremely limited at this point in time. In other words, the commitment to action is the action, and that is enormous that is unmeasurable and therefore it will always be that your maizim will be greater than your chokhmah whereas a person whose chokhmah is greater than his maizim it means that you have a reluctance to commit to something until you've found out about it and you withhold doing it so it means that your essential core hasn't bought into the program you're always suspicious and as things occur so then you re-examine them and you decide to take them on board or not so that means your chokhmah has no kiem because the basis of chokhmah is the commitment to knowledge not the knowledge itself then the Rabbeinu Yoyna goes and this is the relevance to us at this point in time both in terms of the passion in terms of where we're holding let's say in our evolution as Jewish souls it says that's what the Jews meant when they said Nasevanishma Nasevanishma the almost cliched question is how can they say we will do and then we will hear you can't possibly perform an action until you've been instructed as what action is that you are to perform you can't someone says to you i'll do it no problem what i have an idea you can't do that first of all you have to be told what to do and then you can do it you should be nishma vanase but the jews were told were sorry they said nice nishma and because of that who looks down at them with wonder and astonishment and says me gila rozze lebonai who told the secret to my children roz shemalachai ha shores mishar simboy mishtam simboy a secret that the angels the malachim use so first of all what's pshat when a malach uses a secret what's a secret answer the secret is what a malach what a malach does is a malach is created for a mission the creation of the Malach precedes the instruction. 
the definition of what the Malach is going to do. The Malach could theoretically be created to perform a mission. But the Malach doesn't yet know what that mission is. But the second it finds out as to what the mission is, so there's not, a, there's not a, even a moment's worth of hesitation, it will go and do it. Because it was never going to do anything else but the mission. When the Jewish people did Naisa Venishma, they adopted an angelic approach to the connection to the Creator. In as much as they said, we are not making our performance based on a later decision when the information is given to us, we will then weigh up whether to do it or not. Right now we're making that full-blown commitment to do it. What will happen in the future is we'll find out what that thing is. Right now we're going to do it. We'll do what? Whatever it is the Abisha tells me. That seems to be the prerequisite for Kabbalah Satoya. Now in the context of where we are, it often creates a little bit of internal internal discomfort. Um, people who've come from outside of the world of Torah, so they are cautious to buy into everything, especially when it seems so contrary and different from the life that I've been used to living. So the kind of notion of Naisivanishma seems to be some type of coercive religious message which threatens to deprive me of my cognitive engagement in the pursuit of wisdom because we are told just do. Don't 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 make your doing contingent upon actually understanding. So a person feels a little bit robbed of the ability to think. So I think we have to contextualize that and say, well, that's not necessarily so. And then we have to explore a few other ideas in regard to how far Naisiv and Ishmael can take us, because it seems to be, this is the prerequisite for Kabbalah Satoya. There are many approaches to growing in Imunah, but one would say that the most simple of approaches is that a person who has no knowledge of the working mechanism of Judaism or how it came about is really very difficult for him to buy into the, into the, into the whole thing. I mean, why should I? You offer me a, a, a lifestyle which is restrictive and it requires tremendous commitment and you're not telling me why, why, why this, this is the way to go. So you need to give me some type of um, basis for this commitment. Where's the basis lie? So if at that point in time I say to you, what do you mean? What are you? You're not because. Now I say Manishma. First you do, then you care about it. So, so that would be an inappropriate thing to say. You say, well, let me explain to you what the Torah is about. Let me, let me give you a bit of an example of what Torah learning means. Let me give an insight into what the mitzvahs are. Let me explain to you in terms of the veracity of the chain of transmission as to how the Torah we have in our hands today wasn't just made up along the way, but it actually comes from a national revelation which is logically, historically, extremely difficult to get ourselves out of and saying that it never occurred. Let me take you back to um, the inception whereby the Jewish people were conceived as a nation back in ancient Egypt and archaeological and psychological and historical evidence as to what has occurred. And then the person says, aha. Now, that's analogous. That initial stage is all before Naisir Venishma. The Jewish people didn't blurt out Naisir Venishma on the spur of a moment. 
the Jewish people were in Egypt. The Jewish people, first of all, had a tradition that they had from their forefathers. But more than that, they experienced the Creator's absolute control over every small, tiny, and great and huge element in the natural world. They saw it with their own two eyes. And therefore, for them, it was natural to say nice to Venishma because they'd had a long-term history and relationship with the Creator. They had literally, in one way or another, seen Him to the degree that in Kirs Yamsuf, as the sea split, they said, It was as if they could point to the Creator and say, So they had a relationship, they had a connection, they had seen their Creator, they had met their Creator to a certain degree, and therefore, when he is about to give them a way of accessing on a deeper level, the most appropriate thing to be would say, to, the most appropriate thing to say would be, Nasev Nishma. We know who you are. We connected you. We value what you value. We don't know the details. But because of our long-standing relationship and because of what we appreciate you to be, so we know that whatever you tell us in the future will be good. And therefore, Nasev, we will do it. We're not going to hold back. At that point in time, a holding back would be a betrayal of the dynamic in that relationship. It would be completely inappropriate. When you have a long-term friend and you build up a tremendously close relationship and then the friend says, listen, I need you to help me out. So if you're a true friend, you won't say, well, what do you want me to do? You'll say, just, sure. What, what, just, just, I'm, I'm there for you. Just tell me what it is and I will do it. You won't say, listen, I'm not sure. Tell me what it is and then I'll make a decision as if I want, whether I want to do it or not. If your friendship is true and your love is strong, you'll say, listen, do you want me to help you? I'm there to help you. Now tell me what it is you want. So the prerequisite for a nice Venishma is an intimate relationship which has already trust within it. Once the trust is there, the most appropriate response to a request is Naseh Nishma. Until the trust is there, so then it would be ludicrous for me to come up to a stranger, a stranger makes a request of me, and I say, listen, just ask me whatever you want, and I'll do it. That, that's inappropriate, that's not, that's not healthy. I don't know who the person is, and suddenly going to make these demands of me. So similarly, in our entrance into Yiddishkeit, the first stage is actually a stage before the Naseh Nishma. And that is getting to know God. We have to get to know the Rebbeinu Shalom. We have to understand where He is. We have to reach the level of Klai Yisrael just before they got to Matan Torah. But the Klai Yisrael didn't know everything when they said Naseh Nishma. And when you have a relationship with a person, you don't necessarily know everything about the person. There's a certain breakthrough. There's a changing point whereby you say, I now have trust. I now can rely on. I now know what you're about. Perhaps the relationship between a parent and a child, but the relationship with a friend is perhaps a better marshal in this particular case because it's a relationship where you're conscious of its initial starting point and you develop it and then there comes a point where you suddenly or not so suddenly realize that I'm in it for this person and I will do everything I can in my power to help them. And that's the kind of thing that we have to build up with the Creator. Now, the way that that's built up is in a variety of different 
manners, depending on the person, depending on what speaks to you, whether it be the historical research of how the Jewish people came to be standing in front of us today, or whether it be appreciating the beauty of the mitzvahs and feeling the, the, the incredible spiritual luster that resounds. For example, from the mitzvah, there's a mitzvah, there's a, there's a negative transgression that the Rabbein Yuna brings down in Shari Tshuva, where he says that a person is forbidden to experience a feeling of gaiva, of arrogance. Now, I find that that in itself, for me, resonates beauty. But the, the, the nuance of the, this particular mitzvah is that it's given to the king. Now, where would you have an ethical majesty whereby the ruling monarch, whose absolute power, he said, but if you look down on one of your pitiful subjects, you're over an isodoraisa. You've, you've committed a stringent transgression of what the will of the Creator is. And that's the king. So for me, that, that transforms my vision of humanity into this incredibly sophisticated set of ethical expectations, which is literally breathtaking. So that one perspective of how a person develops this connection to the Creator. Another perspective could be through the working through the rational processes of the chain of transmission. How do we come up with this extremely complex? Another way would be to go through the miracle of Jewish survival throughout history. And the fact that we have a consistent working body of, of approaching the modern world with all its inventions, with all its trials and tribulations, and the thing still works. It doesn't work. It's, it's absolutely thrives. It thrives. It gives a person in the modern context for wading his way through Facebook and every possible new technological advancement and their Judaism stands with a way of dealing with it. So that's, that's the next stage that we need to develop. Is that let's, let's say a person's got to the nice of Nishma and he says nice of Nishma. But I'd like to expand on two other dimensions of Naisev and Nishma. So that's the Rabbeinu Yoyna. The Rabbeinu Yoyna is, is, is fleshed out by Avhutna. But now there's, there's, there's two other Perushim in Naisev and Nishma, which I'd like to reflect on, which I think are also crucial for our spiritual advancement. What we want to do is we want to know how to get further. So again, we have to build the Muna. Once we build the Muna, then we can say that our commitment is not contingent. Our commitment is absolute. What is still evolving is we don't know everything. So we need to get to know we need to get to know more about Yibanishlam. We need to know in order to develop and to create that sense of closeness. But that will come. That will only come when the commitment is rock solid. If the commitment is not rock solid, so that means we step out of what it means to be in the true sense of Jew. We lose the crowns of Naisa Vanishma. The crowns of Naisa Vanishma means that the commitment is rock rock solid. I am here, you are here, and that cements the reality of where we are as Jews. Until the commitment is rock solid, even though you accept upon yourself 99.9%, the minute maybe that's not, so then you're not in the Parashat Bichlal. It's another Rebbein Yonah that says, in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, what, what is the din of a person that says, I accept all the mitzvahs but one? So the Rebbein Yoni uses this as an indication that if there's a 
relationship between a servant and a master and the servant says, I'll do everything you tell me, but just not that. It means he's not a servant. In order for a servant to be a servant, he has to accept 100% of the master says. If he accepts 99.9%, so then he's not a servant. So the level of commitment has to be absolute. That's Nase. And then the Nishma will come. The Sefer Moranayim has two different, which I think are very pertinent explanations of Nase and Nishma. It's a Hasidic Sefer, so he takes a different approach to the expression, to the, to the interpretation of the Psukim. And he says the following thing. The first word he says is Nase and Nishma. Nase means doing. Nishma means, nishma means understanding. Now, we all know that there is a... It's, it's, the Ramah says, Ain simcha ele katoris asafek. That there's an element of joy and pleasure when there's clarity that's been earned. When a person understands. When a person grasps. So it's one of the most fulfilling experiences one can have. Whether it be in the process of trying to understand the Rashiotosis. When a Gemara, a peric comes together because you've done Chazara whether it's some idea in Hashkofa that you grasp, whether it's an understanding in a relationship, whether it's a new insight into how something in the natural, work, natural world works, when a person gets clarity on something that was bothering him, that feeling is immensely satisfying and highly pleasurable. It says the Seif Maranaim that Nase means in order to get there, there's a prerequisite. Nase means doing. Vanishma means getting understanding. He says, unless you do, you don't get. Every single, what he calls the Ola Maschah, the world of reward, is the world of Nishma, the world of understanding, of having the clarity, of being exposed to what's beneath the surface. That doesn't happen without a nicer beforehand. There has to be hard work. If there's no hard work, it's a prerequisite. It's nicer then Nishma. There's no Nishma without nicer. You can't get there without a, without without the nasi. There's no nishma. If you look at the way the whole gemara is structured, it's to develop the ability to dance the dance inside of us. The gemara doesn't start with a presentation of facts, which would be a nishma. Yeah, you do, you want to know what to do? This is it. The gemara starts with a cryptic mishnah. The mishnah then is challenged. There's an internal problem. There's an external problem. Even the resolution of the external problem cropped up another problem. It's all about not knowing what's going on. But there's a nice there's a work, there's a work, there's a work. And then finally after putting all the pieces together, ah, there's a nishma. But there's a nice beforehand. And if you skip the nice you don't get the nishma. Even if I present you with the information. It's the power of the unanswered question. There are people that are um, are impatient they refuse to appreciate the value of the unanswered question. The living with Akasha. Living with Akasha means that you have a difficulty and what you do with this is you care for it. You nurture it. You water it. You let it grow. And you live with it. And you live with it. And you live with it. And as long as you live with it, so then you suddenly realize that something happens in your life and it, it oh, partially resolves it, but it still remains there. And then something else happens and it's more resolved. And then one day, you read, you understand, you hear, and you finally resolve the kasha that's been nurtured inside of you for years. And then your world explodes in blissful elation. So different is that to the person that says, 
but I want the answer now. He deprives himself of the entire process. And as a result, the answer that's given to him comes in, but like water off a duck's back, slips off. And even if he remembers, remember, remembers the information, but the integration eludes him. So therefore, it's Nase Venishma. That's the prerequisite for Kabbalah Satoya. There's no Nishma. The Nishma has to be preceded by a Nase. There has to be a Nase, a Nase, a Nase. Then a Nishma. Do not flee from Akasha. As I say, they say in Brits, Mishtab Nishma Akasha. You don't die from Akasha. So there's a deal, it's brisk. You don't die, you live. It's the source of life. Living with the kasha. Live with the kasha. Don't die with the kasha. Don't die from the kasha. You live with the kasha. Then the then the then he Chernobyl, he says another pshat. This is a fascinating pshat. Nasev and Nishma. He says you have to realize that the nature of avodas Hashem is volatile. Ravobi said in a different way. He said a yeshiva bocha, a person pursuing spiritual growth, and a person not are like two travelers upon two different forms of transport. A person who's not pursuing spiritual growth is like a man on a train. He goes on the train, and granted, the train goes up hills and down mountains, but you don't actually feel the sharpness of the change in movement. Whereas a person pursuing spiritual excellence is like a man traveling in a plane and the plane is caught in turbulence. That you go up and then you suddenly shoot down. And then you get up again and then down again and up and down again. The nature of spiritual growth is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It doesn't work up, 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 up. There's no such thing. A person doesn't when you grow spiritually. There's no such thing. He's, he brings a mystical concept called that the angels are ratzo v'shoev, ratzo v'shoev. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The nature of spiritual growth, and he says, it has to be like that. And we can spend a long time working out why it has to be that, but it has to be like that. A person has to have a period of elation, of elevation, and then, boom! Hits the rock bottom. It has to be that. And says the Moranaim that if you don't fall, so then you're not in the process of growth. And when you do fall, it's the prerequisite, it's the preceding stage to a greater level of, a greater madrega. That the falling and the rising up are two different sides of Avodah Hashem. The one facilitates the other. The fall facilitates the next step. Just a direction of thought is that our entire experience of life is through comparison and contrast. If there would be no such thing as a fall, there'd be no such thing as a aliyah either. A yerida is what makes the aliyah into aliyah. He says, if there's no lack, so then there's no getting. If you don't have a lack of, if you're not hungry, so then the food doesn't taste. The hunger creates the appetite in the food. The fact that you're hungry creates the meal, as it were. The lack of creates the of. So therefore, so therefore, when a person understands the nature of the progression of life and he realizes that we are in turbulence, that we will rise up, fall down. How does a person respond to that? So says the Moranaim, the way you have to respond to that is you have to realize that Avedis Hashem is not for the times when you have an Aliyah and that's when you work on yourself. Avada 
You do, but then it's natural. The Avodis Hashem comes into its truest colors when you've got no desire to daven, no desire to learn. Not only that, you don't understand why you're doing it. He calls it that you're milking. Your comprehension just disappears. You, don't, you, don't, you lose the bigger picture. You don't understand why you're doing it. You don't understand what you're doing. You feel totally demotivated. At that point in time, you have to revitalize yourself. How do you do that? So he explains in a poetic fashion the Gemara that says, Mi gila roz ze lebonai. The Gemara that says that nice of Anishma, Gemara in Shabbos, that the Jew people received two, two crowns. The Gemara says, Who revealed the secret to my children? The Lashon of the Gemara is, Mi gila roz ze lebonai. Me. Who revealed the secret to my children? Says the Moorinaim. Person goes and he's feeling absolutely out of Avodah Hashem. He's feeling that there's no spirituality in his life. He can't connect. He can't connect. He can't daven. He can't learn with the sense of connection. What should he do? He says, ask yourself a simple question. Right now, say to yourself, can I move? Move your limbs? I can move. Where's your life source coming from? Where's it, how can you move? Where, where, where's that, the, the life, the ability to move, the ability to think, the ability to be? Where's your being? Where's it being sustained from? Where's it nurturing from? Where's it coming from? And then almost inevitably a person who has a mona realizes it's Hashem. Hashem's making me move. And that's your step back into the world of Avodah Hashem. By asking, who is making me breathe? Who is making me live? Who is making my heart beat? That moment, that kind of stepping out and saying, one second, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm a being. When you say those words, so then you realize that you can start the upward journey back to the point that you had left, but much higher. See, that's Pshat. Me, by asking yourself the question, who? Who's making me live? Gila Razelavana. That will reveal the secret to my children. That will reveal the secret of that your Hashem is not dependent on spiritual highs. It's as crucial in spiritual lows. And then he goes on, he says he learns this into a few psukim. He says there's a pasuk in Hala which says, Mimizrach Shemesh Ad Mevoyoi Mahulal Shem Hashem. Mimizrach Shemesh, the word Lizrach means to radiate, to shine. Shemesh, the Gemara calls a tzaddik a Shemesh, a person who's on a madrega. Mimizrach Shemesh, from the time when the sun is shining, when you've got it all right, you know what's going on, Ad Mevoyoi, until the time, time when the sun sets and it's just darkness, Behulal Shem Hashem. Either way, you have to be praising the Shem Hashem. It says, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Somid. Shivisi Hashem, place in front of myself, Hashem. Hashem is the name of Rachmim. You understand it, you connect. Lenegdi, against me. Shivisi Hashem is the one Madrega. Lenegdi, sometimes it looks as if Hashem, you're against me. You're pushing me down, I don't see you. Tomid. Shivisi Hashem, Lenegdi, Tomid. You should always be consistent. He says another Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Va'atem dveikim ba'ashem elokeichim. Why is it there Va'atem Dveikim Ba'ashem Elokeichim using the two names of Hashem? Va'atem Dveikim Ba'ashem Va'atem Dveikim Ba'ashem Elokeichim 
you cleave to Hashem, your God. There's two names of Hashem. Of Hashem. Shem, the first name is Shem, the Shem, Shem Avaya, the Yudke Vavke. That's Kodesh Baruch Hu's, when He reaches out to us, the attribute of, of, of mercy and chesed. Shem Elikim is a din of tzimtzum, of judgment. Va'atem dveikim. And you are cleaving when? Ba'ashem elokeichem. When you cleave to Hashem, but also you cleave to elokeichem. Regardless of whether that you feel the Hashem, or whether you feel the elokim, you still dveikim. Chaim kulchem ayoyim. How do I know? What allows me to do that? The fact that I'm alive. From my very life, from the fact that I can breathe, I come back to the Rebbein Shlodom. And that allows me the potential to do Avoida even in a place and a time when I don't feel like doing Avoida. To sum up, in order for us to facilitate a proper, a consistent, a long-lasting connection to Torah, there has to be a certain integrity in our commitment. It means that once we cross over the threshold of the relationship of feeling connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of going through our own personal Yetzirah Mitzrayim, then we have to go through our own personal Kabbalah Torah. The personal Yetzirah Mitzrayim is when we leave the slavery of the Mitzrayim. Svarim say Mitzrayim is Meitzaryam. It's the narrowest place in the world. The sea is the widest thing that can't be contained. Water represents the endlessness of being. And Mitzrayim is called Meitzah. The word is contracted, is separated with form two words. Meitzah, the boundary, Yam, around the sea. In Mitzrayim, the endlessness of being was squashed into a very limited parameter. You couldn't escape. So a person's own personal says Mitzrayim is when you escape the fixed parameters of physical existence and you realize that there's something way, 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 way beyond. That something is very Shalom. And you connect him. And you realize, Lashem Ha'aretz in Meloyah. is everywhere and everything. Once you made that realization, then there's a commitment. It's not a realization which just sticks there. It goes on to the next stage. What's the next stage? The next stage is Kabbalah Satoria. What is Kabbalah Satoria? Nase Vanishma. I don't know what it's going to mean. I don't know how it's going to pan out in my life. I don't know what it's going to require of me. But Nase. What will it require of me? I'll find out in the course of it. As things occur as I confront new situations, as I go from this place to that, this job to that, meet this person and that, there'll be new, ever new nishmas, but there'll be a consistent nice. Second point is that the nice means that it's not going to come for free. You'll only ever get to the nishma, a different level of nishma, the understanding, the connection, the grasping, if there's a nice, you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to work hard. And finally, Nase v'nishma, there the nase means nase. Even though I don't understand, and even though I'm far, far, far away, it feels that I'm completely spiritually uninspired. Nase, I'll do. That's a lower level. Nishma is a higher level. The only time it can be an oivet Hashem is if I have the nase and the nishma together. Shivisi Hashem lenegdi tamid v'atem dveikim ba'Hashem elokeichem. We have to appreciate our life. We have to reconnect. And in every situation we're in, whether we be the furthest away, feeling completely, completely demotivated, or whether we feel completely inspired, each one is a different avenue for our Vedas Hashem. 
Don't think that Avodah Hashem happens in a happy place. Avodah Hashem happens as much in the unhappiest of places as it does in the happiest of places. Shivisi Hashem the Negdi. Hashem, the Negdi, Tomit, the whole time. The whole time. So I think that's, that's a limit from this week's parasha, which is, which, is, which is fundamental to a healthy progression in Avodah Hashem. And without it, so then our internal core is weak and as a result, the kind of people that we grow into are spineless jellyfish. Not so gushmak. Not so gushmak. Thank you, everybody.